Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Jamie, your adjunct professor, and welcome to today's episode. It's Monday, December 11th, I think. I'm on my favorite trail at Lake Poway, and I'm really thinking about lots of things today. First, it's the end of the semester, so I'm feeling many things about the semester for the programs and the, the classes that, I've, that I teach at several institutions, and just really impressed by my students. I call them colleagues because I learn from them as much as I hope they are learning from me. My colleagues work in neuropsychology, which is such an exciting course to teach. It was my first time teaching it, uh, and also research methods. Um, I'm also teaching intro to psychology, which is an interesting class for master students and doctoral students who are entering the professional school of psychology, but who don't have experience or prior academic experience in psychology. So been interesting. So my point is looking at reading and evaluating students' capstone projects at the end of the, the course. I'm just really impressed by their stamina, their ability to withstand uh, the challenge of, of receiving feedback and making corrections. And, you know, being a student uh, is not it's not easy. So hats off to my students. Uh, you did well. But as I'm preparing for next term in January, I'm starting to teach statistics, uh, which is such an interesting thing because the very my very first time around in college, I performed horribly in statistics. And it undercut my confidence to the, to the degree that it took me many, many decades, or two decades, <laughs> uh, to get around to having enough courage to earn my terminal degree. And also, I'm thinking a lot about literature reviews because, oddly enough, the literature review for my dissertation was the most challenging aspect, but also the most rewarding. I feel like I figured some things out that I'm excited to teach in an executive doctoral program starting in January. So today, I just really want to encourage folks who are at, in the literature review stage to hang in there. It does, it does get better. And um, the literature review is really where you learn. They say that creating or completing a dissertation is the process of becoming an expert. And the literature review is really where you become an expert. Here are a couple things that I see that doctoral students do poorly 
uh, and somehow, in many ways, end up affecting their progress. The number one thing I see is I always hear when I ask folks, how's your lit review coming? Or you see people who, you know, term after term, couple years, you ask them how their literature review is coming, and they, they all reply, I'm still working on it. I, my question to them is like, what are you working on? And often the reply is, you know, I'm trying to find articles. And you really shouldn't, my response to this is you really shouldn't be spending time finding articles. Once you've located a couple of articles, you should have a few articles that at least help you identify the current literature on the topic. But from that point, once you've identified it, and even if you haven't, having a meeting with the school's librarian and talking through what your interest is and having the librarian construct a search for you so that you locate the articles that exist within the last six years, as well as any important seminal or fundamental articles, it's rather than spending time finding those articles, the librarian should help by delivering them to you. Almost like I ever imagine it, like they deliver to you on a carousel or a cart. Here are all the articles, right? And so let's dispel that myth that your job is to locate the articles. The librarian knows far more than you, knows the databases, knows the search strings, knows how to pull articles based on keywords. But then once you get those articles in the last six years, so that you know that they're relevant, you have to keep your research question in mind. And so as you start processing the articles, the second mistake that I see doctoral students make, I know because I myself made those same mistakes and I see my peers do the same, is they try to sit down and read the article cover to cover. That's really not the purpose. And when you're first starting out reading up on a topic, it's really challenging because you don't quite know the key terms or definitions or theorists or theories that are involved. So your job really is to scan the article looking for key information, and the findings. So, the literature matrix is the most important and most valuable tool I had during this process. The literature matrix, originally I have to admit, the conception, the conceptualization of a literature matrix just didn't make sense to me. I looked at it, and I didn't quite get it. It took a while fiddling around with it before it sort of clicked in. But if you can imagine, 
which you're going to have to do because this is an auditory medium, audio, not visual, although I will include uh, a document for your review. But just imagine a spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheet if you use PC, or numbers spreadsheet if you use an Apple computer. And they're columns. The columns are populated by the information that you need, that you're categorizing from the articles, like the author's name, the publication year, the journal title, uh, keywords, the methodology. Is it quantitative, qualitative, mixed? And if it's qualitative, maybe even what type of qualitative? Is it narrative? Is it grounded theory? Is it case analysis, theme analysis, or interpretive phenomenological analysis? And then you need information like, uh, what's, what's the sample? What research questions did they ask? What hypotheses were used if the study was quantitative? What particular quotes stand out and where they're, they're located? A summary of the article and perhaps even what their analysis were, if they were quantitative or even if they were qualitative, what analysis did they perform? And what were the findings? So I just rattled off some basic metadata that would be relevant for a literature matrix in general. How you create your literature matrix for yourself specifically really depends on you. And the great thing about the literature matrix is that it's completely flexible and dynamic, and you can change things on the fly. So imagine that you've populated across columns from A to, let's say, K or L or even M, all of those metadata that I just said, author, publication year, etc. On the rows are from row one to however many articles you have, you would fill that information out. Now, when you're done and you filled it out, and we'll talk about that in future episodes, the real value of the literature matrix, which the goal of the literature matrix is to tell the reader what the current conversation is in the literature. What do we know so far? What questions have we asked? And where is the gap, which is where your study fits in? What's the gap? So when you're entering the information at the row for each study, your job is to assign each study a category. So imagine if you had 15 articles. You could put five articles in category A, five in B, and five in C. So let's say category A is 
what would we call that? We could call category A, um, my brain just stopped. Let's say category A are Let's see, think about my topic, uh, founder syndrome. Let's say category A is about founder syndrome, articles about founder syndrome. Category B, let's say, category B could be, oh, bike passing by. Thank you. Sure. Say category B is about founder's transformational reaction syndrome. And let's say category C is about um, opponents of uh, founder syndrome. So now we've got three categories. Category A, founder syndrome. Category B, founder's transformational reaction syndrome. And category C, uh, opponents of founder syndrome. So we've got three themes. So within those themes are five articles each. And it wouldn't be difficult to imagine that within each of the categories, category A, B, and C, were different kinds of articles, some quantitative, some qualitative, maybe even a mixed methods. Your job in the literature review is to identify the themes in the literature and to describe to the reader a synopsis or a summary of those themes. So, once you've entered 15 articles in the literature matrix, so rows 1 through 15, and you've given five articles, each of their category name, Founder Syndrome, Founder's Transformational Reaction Syndrome, and opponents of Founder Syndrome. Then, you could filter your, your spreadsheet it's a little bit different in Excel than in Numbers, but essentially it works the same. Filter just to see the articles in category A. Once you filter out so that you're only looking at category A, let's say those end up being like row 2, row 5, row 7, row 9, and 13. Those are the only rows that you see. Your job then is to summarize what you see. It becomes easier when you have the information in a spreadsheet to see just those articles. And then you can write what some authors are doing or what the prevailing conversation is about that theme. Generally, then you can begin to look at it specifically. Now, again, my purpose today was just to give you a high-level idea of what a literature matrix is. I wanted to talk about some of the mistakes that doctoral students make and how the literature review is a way to help you move and progress in your work. I look forward to uh, hearing from you about your literature matrix or matrices, that's plural, uh, as you continue to develop your work. So having said that, I hope wherever you are, 
you're having a fantastic day and that just like me right now on this walk that you're plodding forward and so today that's our topic on our scholarly podcast I'm Dr. Jamie your adjunct professor hope you have a fantastic day